This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is your typical radio ad while eating a Crunch Bar. This is Automatic of Auto's Used Cars. This weekend only, we're having a whale. Bring the kids. See for yourself. It is huge. Gonna make a big splash. No other dealer can say they have a whale like this. When things sound dull, turn up the fun with Crunch. Hello, welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. My name is James Gill. I am the MC at the multi-award-winning comedy nights, Always Be Comedy. I'm joined, as always, by my comedy husband, Always Be Comedy's very own, Tim Lewis. Hello, Tim Lewis. Hello, James Gill. The Always Be Comedy podcast is where we sit down with a guest and they curate what would be their dream comedy gig. Who would open? Who would close? What sort of gigging nightmare that they've experienced must not, under any circumstances, happen at this fantasy comedy gig? It's all this and so much more. And by so much more, we often mean quite a lot of gossip. Hello, welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. Our guest today is the great Sindhu V. Sindhu, uh, Tim, one of those acts who just just fits always be comedy it's so effortless uh walks into a room pure class uh storms the gig every time the crowd love her we love her um tim you're all, you're also a fan of uh of sindhu sindhu v is so great it's exactly like you say so effortless she could go up with no idea what she's going to say and she could be there for an hour and it's just brilliant it feels so natural, and I think she's very unique. I can't really think of any other comedians like her. Tim, nail on head. Stand-up comedy is incredibly difficult, and Sindhu V makes it look like she's up there shelling peas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That. As if it's the easiest thing in the world. Um, so we talk about Sindhu's fascinating story. She worked in the world of finance, and so we talk about how someone who was a very successful banker ends up becoming, I can only guess, an even more successful comedian. Sounds like the, the world of banking went great, but obviously Sindhu V is a household name. Uh, sellout tours, multiple TV and movie appearances. Also, uh, on a personal level, uh, as you know, I'm quite an emotional chap. I've got two young kids. We took them to go see Matilda. Now this is this is the movie that, that is based on the Tim Minchin musical that is based on the Roald Dahl book. So Sindhu is awesome and has has a meaty role and Sindhu pops as you would imagine. My kids couldn't believe that daddy was friends with Sindhu V. It blew their mind. They loved the film. We then took them to the sing-along version and now that it's on Netflix, they watch it on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, if you've got kids, it is 
the perfect family film. Sindhu, also being the people's champion, was very patient when my kids sent very giddy WhatsApp voice notes to pass on their praise of her and the movie. It really, it's an absolute triumph. Also, con- controversial, I'm saying it like I'm some sort of edgelord. Um, but I would say that the movie that Sindhu is in is better than the stage production. Now that that is that is quite a, a spicy take because that obviously that isn't always the case. Uh, but we went we went to the stage production. It's obviously excellent. I would put the film uh, above the stage version. If you haven't seen it, do check it out. And Sindhu V, no wonder she has the career that she has. No wonder she gets uh, snapped up to appear in all sorts because uh, that dude can uh, absolutely. She, she's a, a glorious actor. We also, I won't spoil it, Sindhu, as you know, we like to drop a few showbiz exclusives. Sindhu uh, reveals more about some other upcoming projects. So Sindhu fans, you are in for a treat. And if you're like Tim and myself, who we enjoy the success of comedians more than they enjoy it, you're in for an absolute treat. Yeah. Sindhu has only started recently, coming, been coming back to stand-up. Uh, and it turns out there are some very good reasons why she hasn't had time to be on stage recently. Absolutely. You meet some comedians who take time away because they, hey, fair play to them. They needed a break. Sindhu, it turns out, since uh, James Brown, the godfather of soul, passed away. J- James Brown was the hardest working person in this business. They uh, In the business they call show, I think Sindhu may be the new uh occupants of the of the the hard-working throne uh I, I tim i would say that once more things are made public i mean to be fair she makes them quite public on this podcast her, her, her imdb page would make the likes of robert redford blush uh, <laughs> another topical reference from your boy from leeds correspondence rachel writes in do, do you do you say full name tim I think I, when they're being nice, yes. <laughs> um, there's a guy on YouTube, I've started watching his videos. He's called Stuart Millard. He makes these videos about um, 80s and 90s telly. His videos are really, really funny. And he, he's done a few about Saturday morning kid shows that used to exist. Uh, I, I, I'm slightly wistful that my kids won't get to watch the likes of uh going live live and kicking motor mouth number 73 etc and he's done these videos about those shows and at one point russ abbott he, they're, they're doing correspondence and russ Abbott live on air <laughs> reads out a child's full address <laughs> oh my god oh man and, uh, oh mate it's it's quite the moment but no, I, I I think I've said on a previous episode. I love Russ Abbott, and he's and when you watch the video, he's doing it in the most sweet, innocent way. So, but that video has really stayed with me. So I started reading out the correspondence. I went Rachel, and I'm like, do you say the full name? Uh, so Rachel's written in. Notice I've still not I've still not said the full name just to be safe. Um, Rachel, what I absolutely love about Always Be Comedy bracket, and I've never been. I live 300 miles away. And whenever I've been in London, there's not been anything on. Oh, I don't believe it. Rachel, we can only apologise. Close bracket is what a champion you are of people. 
on the podcast you are so positive about people and you really cheer people on rachel thank you uh newbies or seasoned comedians uh in an in i i i paused at the wrong point there i should have said and you really cheer people on comma newbies or seasoned comedians exclamation mark and then i should have said rachel thank you back to rachel's email in an industry which must be a bit dog eat dog sometimes it's so refreshing you know what rachel maybe it is but tim and i tim we're not privy to that the the dudes we with whom we hang are super positive people we had a gig last week with ashling b and she is tim i would put her top of that positive vibe gang she's a great she's a great cheerleader slight tangent this gig last friday always be comedy was ashling b brett goldstein ellie taylor in the crowd was uh phil dunster uh, who is also in Ted Lasso. And the closer is one of our favourites. Uh, I say one of our, like he's only a, one of one of our favourites, but also an absolute superb comedian, Ray Badron, right? So imagine that lineup, and then Ray goes on, and this this is the kind, this is the energy we like, that self-deprecation. Ray Badron goes on last, opening gag. He's Australian, I won't do the accent, but he's opening gag. Um, yeah, in comedy, the lineups are, are supposed to get more famous, right? Applause break, obviously great gag and then he goes i've just had to follow the entire cast of ted lasso second applause break so yeah he's, he's literally he started off with a with a sort of one two that a young evander holyfield would have uh applauded um tim that was that was one of those nights wasn't it yeah we've had a few of one of those nights recently but yeah that was absolutely bizarre that was one of those lineups that just like a new name got added every week and it's like my god james you've done very well here it's just but also imagine if you're a ted lasso fan in the crowd and yeah. say ellie taylor walks on and you're like oh my god this night can't get any better brett goldstein then walks on and then if you look in the corner and uh phil dunster sat there you'd have you'd have a you'd have a cardiac arrest um <laughs> So yeah, that was that 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 was lovely. Uh, Rachel, sorry, uh, bit dog eat dog. Sometimes it's so refreshing. I feel like you really bring out the best in people. Thank you, Rachel. Right, I, right what I, right what I do with the correspondence is I I deliberately skim read so that I haven't fully read it, so that it is fresh when I read it on the pod. Regular listeners will go, yeah, that makes sense. However, I'll be honest with you, this one is more full of praise than I realised. So. I acknowledge that this is a complete ego massage. So I'm reading this out and I apologize. Here we go. That and the fact that I've been a total stand-up geek for ages and nothing has scratched the itch of explaining the ins and outs of comedy. Tim, I think we can both give Rachel a little applause yeah. break there. Thank Very you. Nice. The, that is the vibe that we're after. Love the podcast. Love seeing what's going on and really hope one day I can come in person. Keep it up. Smiley face. Uh, Rachel, that is a Hall of Fame bit of correspondence. Tim, I would say if Rachel maybe drops us a line when Rachel is in London and we can endeavour to see what is possible. Of course, yeah, yeah. Very, very welcome. And um, I feel like we put on gigs most night of the week these days. So I'm glad, they'll, they'll I'm glad you said that because that's the, nicest, that's the nicest email a human being could write 
And yet Tim and I are such sensitive sorts that I also thought, well, hang on a minute, we, we tried to put on as many gigs as we can. Um, so, so uh, yeah, Rachel, let us know. Because, yes, this, this now sounds like we're doing an advertorial for Always Be Comedy, but we do endeavour to put on as many shows uh, as is humanly possible. Um, August is August is, is, is quieter with the Timo up in Edinburgh. So it's sort of like a reduced service. Uh, but like we've got, I mean, for example, we've got Joel Domit, uh, doing a work in progress Thursday the 17th of August and today's guest uh, the maestro Sindhu V is with us Thursday the 7th of September oh, also Tim we're, we're making a foray into the world of family shows this was my wife's idea what happens is we get a lot of people emailing to say my Sebastian is 14 years old can he come to one of your gigs? And so this is a direct answer to that. We're doing a family show, 3 p.m. Sunday, the 1st of October. Glenmore is the first act booked. So it's we, we it's sort of aimed at families with kids 12 and above. That's that's the vibe. Tim, is this a good idea? Yeah, I, I think it is a good idea. There's shows like Taskmaster, which have been a great showcase for creative comedians but being put in a context that like families can enjoy as well as, you know, young adults. I think shows like that have been brilliant. And I don't know about you, but like I started becoming a comedy nerd in my early teens. That's when it really got its hooks into me. And there weren't many gigs I could go to back then because a lot of them were in, you know, nightclubs or pubs and stuff. So I hope we're letting the newer generation of comedy fans see some comedy. Absolutely perfectly put. And Tim, that's an excellent point you make. When I was in my early teens, I think it was the it was the Mary Whitehouse experience. Yeah. With Rob, with Rob Newman, Punt and Dennis, uh, David Deal. I got into I think I think it was about 13. That I think that was like my that was like my Monty Python. That was that was the that was like the you know when you feel like a show had, had come along that had been made just for you. Um and and Taskmaster is absolutely that show for a, a for a whole generation of people. Uh, maybe, Tim, we just did that bonus episode on the state of Edinburgh. Maybe there's a bonus episode on the state of TV and and comedy because that is something that we talk about a lot in private. Yeah, yeah, it is something we talk about a lot actually. So maybe we should record our thoughts and get them down. We'll set. We, we, we will see how the. Bonus episode on Edinburgh goes. If it was a roaring success, strap in for more. If it wasn't, we will never speak of this ever again. <laughs> Correspondence, as always, we absolutely love it. I nearly said hook it to my veins. When was hook it to my veins a popular phrase, Tim? 2020? I think about 2020, but I'm delighted to see you still ploughing on with it. Please do get in touch. The team at alwaysbecomedy.com. There was also some, I appeared on another podcast and there was some lovely correspondence on off the back of me appearing on another podcast. So I appeared on a business podcast called Jimmy's Jobs. Uh, and we, we had a couple of lovely messages off the back of that. So thank you, uh, Ashley Carley. And thank you, Tom Tominoy. Um, Tim, I, I probably... I, you know what? I probably won't read it out because it's more lovely five star esque praise. But I, I just, we wanted you to know that we were very grateful. So thank you. If you want to, ch to check out that, I appeared on the Jimmy's Jobs podcast talking about 
comedy, always be comedy, and much more. Tim, before we get to the maestro, any other business? Um, I can't can't think of any other business really. Uh, social media, we're on always be comedy across all the socials. Uh, Twitter slash X, I guess it is now. Threads, Instagram, and TikTok. We're there. Very, very well put, Tim. Here she is, the maestro, Sindhu V. Right, we, we, we're joined by, we, we have such, right, Sindhu, I cannot emphasise this enough, and Tim will back me up on this. Whenever we meet someone in comedy who is lovely and has great energy, you're always our, you're like our Lionel Messi, you're our go-to reference. So if, Thank you. So if, if, let's say we have a new act in and that, you know, someone walks in a room and that you can tell that they're nice and we'd always go, Sindhu energy. Because like, <laughs> I think if there's, if there's if, I mean, I'm 45, and, but there's, if there's one thing that I still aspire to achieve, it's, uh, it's Sindhu V energy. What is, what is the secret there? Because when I've said this to your face, when you walk into a room, I feel calmer, my shoulders drop about six inches, um, is it, is it as simple as Hinduism or is there more to it than that? <laughs> Can you imagine if it was just because I was born a Hindu? Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know what it is, but I can tell you a little bit about how I feel <clears throat> when I walk into a room. And, <clears throat> excuse me, it doesn't have to be a comedy room. Any room where no one knows me and I walk in, I don't have deep judgment. I have superficial judgment, masses. Like, what's with that guy's shirt? What's wrong with their hair? Like, just, you know, bullshit. But I don't deeply judge anything because, well, who the fuck knows what's up and down and right and left and right and wrong? Like, you don't know until you're in it. So I think that has, that I have been told by other friends of mine that it just keeps them really comfortable. Um, also, I think you and I meet a lot in comedy rooms. You know, when I walk into a room to do comedy, well, first of all, if I walk into a room just to watch comedy, I'm already lucky because I'm not working, so I'm chill. And if I walk into a room to do comedy, then I have to be extremely open to what's going on around me in order to do my job that I'm there to do. And I don't say job in a boring way, the wonderful uh, vocation that I that that found me so late in my life that I'm eternally grateful for. Do, do you think the fact that you you had what I would call a proper job before comedy, but that I think surely that puts you in good stead as well because you've experienced the real world and you've experienced say things like office politics and you know things like that. And so when you when you then get into comedy, you know we're quite similar. We got into comedy quite late in life. Both had jobs beforehand. We probably both know that we're like the luckiest people in the world because we've yeah. because we've met Colin that used to work in accounts or whatever, you know. So it it all, it helps, doesn't it? It does. It absolutely does. I think just being alive longer keeps helping, you know. And then if on top of that you have had uh, very different experiences, um, then that's that's always a that's always in your toolkit as a as something that um, that makes you stronger. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, I had a very different job before. I've, you know, I've been in so many milieus, which were, what a great word, where did that come from? Milieu? Awesome. Anyway, 
you know, so many milieus where I was, um, you know, where there was an expectation of an exchange of um, information, whether it was school gates or whether it was the parent teacher association. I was, I was deputy chair of the parent teacher association at one of my kids' schools. Oh my God. To come back to your original question, I do think it helps to have gone through a lot of other things. Um, when you walk into a room, it gives you a lot of insight into how not to behave. And also, I think I've, I'm quite happy to be here. You know what I'm saying? I'm quite happy to be here. And I have had enough happen in and around me that wasn't great to understand that if it is that you really have to seek out your state of mind. It doesn't come to you, a, sort of a good positive state of mind it doesn't fall in your lap. You have to seek it out. And to, and by seeking it out, you sort of have to create the space for the good stuff to rise. And I think I keep that at the forefront of my mind. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I can have humongous fights with strangers when I'm driving and stuff. So it's not like that. But, you know, outside of those kinds of um, events, I think I, I, I like to keep my keep my environment, which also then depends, you know, how I come across to other people affects how they come across to me. I like to keep it, keep it, you know, keep it nice. Why, why not? There's enough shit. I don't need to add to it. Once again, I'm talking to the listener here, Sindhu V, once again, proving my spiritual guru. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even that spiritual. Listen, every, you everything can... you said then, I would have put on a t-shirt. Well, but this is the thing, it's, it's, it's all available, you know, like now there's, I mean, I think the, the wellness industry is worth billions, like you just have to buy a book, and they start telling you these things. And some of them, you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I have been very unhappy in my life. There have been, I, I have, and I just am A, happy that I'm not there now, grateful, and B, I'm like, oh, fuck, I want to stay away from that, you know. And the thing about unhappiness is it's not always something you can control. You know, like when, when the sun is shining, just be just do all the good things. Absolutely. Now, some listeners might not know what you did. You were, were you an investment banker before comedy? I was an investment banker. I sold bonds. I had a job that I quite enjoyed, right? So I was a sports writer. Uh, mm. I, would, I, would, I would interview people and, and, and so on and so forth. Now, comedy is 10 out of 10 what I want to do. Whereas the, the journalism and the interviewing and the sports writing, what have you, it was probably like seven and a half, eight out of 10, what I wanted to do. So leaving it was was quite hard. Whereas you and I know comedians who maybe worked in call centers or the like. So to make the jump mm. to comedy, it was a doddle because they were, they were leaving a job that they didn't like. D did you have a similar thing where you actually you actually quite enjoyed what you, what you were doing? Oh, no, I loved it. Yeah. Um, I loved it. I, there were parts I was not good at, um, which was the sort of technical stuff, but the selling stuff, I mean, I was good at that because I can talk. Hello. I just didn't realize what a big part of my career it was at the time. Now it is literally my career. Um, but also there was a, there was a very uh, robust component of macroeconomics and politics. And that was my degrees. And I enjoyed that a lot. And I think, you know, um, I still maintain quite a lot of interest in that kind of thing. Um, but I didn't leave comedy to come to, uh, sorry, I didn't leave banking to come to comedy. I left banking to be at home with my kids or with my kid and then had a couple more because, well, at this point, that was my skill set, just having children. I had like fallen out of any other career path. And so that, I think, 
was harder because all of a sudden it was like, I don't think I was really using, I don't, I wasn't using my mind and it was driving me nuts. As, as my, as one of my children famously said, when she was very little, she said, my mind is getting on my nerves. And wow. my mind was getting on my nerves 24 seven then. So, so, that, so then what happened? How did you go from, from that to then trying comedy? What, what happened there, Cindy? I had never seen live stand up. I didn't want, I didn't know I wanted to do stand up. I didn't know what stand up was. I had seen a DVD of Eddie Murphy, which I loved. Um, and a, a series of events took place because of which I ended up at Funny Women. Um, it was quite a, I was quite lonely in terms of, I had lots of friends, but I was searching. I know that now, I look back and that was what, 2012. So we're going back 11 years. I was searching. I just didn't know what I was looking for. Yeah. I had, I was trying all kinds of things. And um, I got to a, a basement in Leicester Square Theater with funny women and that was interesting. I didn't think I wanted to do stand up. I was like, I felt like it was a bit like group therapy, really. Anyway, um, but then they were very instrumental in pursuing me and convincing me to do their competition, which I kind of didn't really register was a competition. So I showed up and was on stage one evening and I went straight to the semi final. But it was that, that was when I got on stage. And I remember distinctly standing on stage telling I do you know Lynn Parker said to us backstage before we went on you you have to remember it's a it's a five minute set and I put my hand up and said set of what I didn't know anything and everyone thought it was a joke they all laughed they're like ah, ha, ha, you're so funny I was like oh shit but again to come back to your point having had previous life experience I knew when to keep my mouth shut no one was a bigger imposter than me in the sense I didn't know anything about the mechanics of what was happening so I got on stage, I told a couple of stories about my mother, which in the beginning of my stand-up, I used to very much hide behind my mother's persona, you know, because you're trying to find out what the fuck you're talking about and why. And um, yeah, and then when I was on stage, I remember separately feeling, oh, I have to do this again. What is this? And then I just never stopped, James. That was it. I just never stopped. I read every book I could find. I watched. I didn't know who Eddie Izzard was. Hello. Like I'd never heard of Billy Connolly. I didn't grow up here. I didn't watch stand up. I didn't know it. Was, like I knew it was a thing out there. But I didn't know it was a thing he in my world. And so because remember, I, I moved here to do banking. I had lived in the West, but I was always studying because I was always on a scholarship. So you, you have no extra cash. You're just constantly trying to keep the grant money and bursary. I'm a bursary girl. That's what I learned. I'm a bursary girl. So who has the time? And um, and then I had kids and my husband is Scandinavian. And there was like when I socialized, I socialized with other school parents, you know, in the neighborhood pub for dinner kind of thing. I didn't really, it's amazing to me now how little I engaged with anything outside of just the mom bubble that I was in. Between 2012 and 2014, I, I didn't really gig a lot, you know, because I, 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 I was immediately aware that this was a world that had a beginning 
and a, and a, and a, and a, and a sort of a narrative. And I was like, where am I in this narrative? So I began reading and watching YouTube, and I never had the guts to go to stand up. I was like, I because I thought that my I didn't feel educated enough, but I knew I wanted to do this. And so then I and I would gig a little bit in India because the kids could go to my parents. They were very young, the children then. Um, and I really started. I came up with a system to gig in January of 2015. I was like, I got to do this every week. And so then I started gigging twice a week. And then from there, I just went and went and went and went. And like, there were all kinds of things I didn't do. Like I didn't try for the BBC Comedy Awards when all my peers were doing it because I was like, I'm never going to, I don't want to win an award. I want to learn how to do this. Um, which was the first time in my life that I didn't want to win an award. I was always very competitive, but I was so scared of fucking this up with the same self-doubt that I've always experienced that I thought I just got to just shut up and go to a gig. Just shut up and go to a gig. Don't get involved with all this other noise. Uh, this is extraordinary. So, right. So when did you, when did you realize, oh, hang on. I'm actually, I'm actually, it turns out I'm very, very good at this. But stop barking. I don't think I ever have thought, oh, I'm really good at this. I think what happened is the plant of the tree started to put out roots and they started to hold. And as you know, in comedy, a lot of that has to do with, you know, I started out open mic and, you know, going to Dirty Dicks and putting my name down and hoping I would get a slot. Yeah. And then, and also I had done a course with, um, oh Christ, going to have a huge blank here. You know who I mean. That Logan Murray. Comedy. Logan Murray. Logan, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I just didn't sleep very well because we borrowed someone's dog. Okay. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's facts. Anyway, so um, I did Logan's course. And on that course, he does explain that, you know, you go from open mic and then you get your first non-paid proper spot and so on. So I, I just took that as a guidebook. So I don't think I ever thought, oh, now I'm good at this. I thought, okay, things are taking root. So for example, the first time I got paid for a gig, it was five pounds. And I have that five pounds, that exact note. I kept it. Because to me, it was an example of how I was doing things differently than I had ever done in anything else in my life, which was get on this, do this, be the best. I just was like, I just want to do this for this thing. And it's going to sound very high, you know, high, like a big deal. But you also have to remember, I came to it later. I had kids. This thing could have fallen off at any point. And I certainly wasn't looking to earn a living from it at the time. I just couldn't believe that there was this thing that was so meaningful to me and that just seemed so right without any questions, no jagged edges. So I was like, I'm just going to protect that. And when someone gave me money, I was like, "This are you fucking having a laugh? Like, you're paying me. Um, and it was Hills, Hills Jago. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have that five pounds only because to me, it's a, it's a testimony to the completely uh, novel experience I was having in doing something full stop. You know, I always did things with a plan and a goal and a, got to get to the you know and I love winning I still love winning you know so it was always about that but this thing was different it was uh this thing met me or found me 
And there was absolutely no requirement for anything else from me but to do this thing. Now, now then you then you end up with an actual fan base, right? Yeah. So what what happened there? Because you you are legit a comedian who has actual fans, and I know this because I've seen <laughs> I've seen it with my own eyes many many times. So what what happened there? Because that that is a I mean that's a whole other thing. It's one thing to get into comedy, and and it's an amazing thing to get that first five pounds. But then when people are specifically going, we, Sindhu V, we, we love you and wherever you're gigging, we're going to come and see you. So what happened there? What was, the, what was the, the, the game changer there? Well, I think, you know, just to your earlier point, and this will um, sort of segue into and another segue. What a word. What's this is great. You're on fire. What is happening? Um, so, <laughs> you know, you get the five pounds and then at some point it became clear to me that in order to move forward, you need to get your head over the parapet of all your peers somehow, somehow, because how is anyone going to notice you? So I did the BBC thing, the awards, and that being a finalist at that was a huge thing. And then I got an agent. And then from there, they start to give you ideas about, oh, you know, it's important that you do a, an hour, your debut hour and all those kinds of things. So once those steps were put into place and I was walking those steps, I then became better at the actual content of what I was saying because I understood that I I basically was part of a world, you know, and I love that. I love I love to have I love to wake up and know that I'm going to go and work on a team or work in a group. I like to lead the group. That's not there's no bullshit. I like to be that guy, but I like to be in the group. And I'll take okay. I'll take feedback about my leadership. I will, mostly. But anyway, um, but this was a different kind of group. This was a world. This was a world, and you could go and do comedy, and other comics would say, "This, you know, my, maybe you can add this, or maybe you can do that." So I loved all that stuff, and so that really opened me up to um, taking more risks about what I was saying because I didn't. There was a, I had some strong feelings about the easy path. The, the path of least resistance for me being uh, the gender I was, the fact that I'm Indian, you know, and I have all these cultural references. I could see one path, but that was not very Sindhu, you know, because Sindhu is a person quite apart from her gender and her. She has her own ideas. Like, you know, I'm currently talking about wanking, as you know, on stage. Um, but, you know, bit. I could have... Yeah, I, yeah, thank you. So... That was that took me some time. That kind of saying, no, I don't want to talk about these things. Um, I want to talk about these other things. And I think coming to your issue, to your question about fan base, I think what happened was there was sort of a mother who is not white British shaped space in the comedy scene in the UK, and I literally just stepped in and plugged into that without realizing that's what was going to happen. Because what, I mean, what was I talking about? My everyday life, my parents, you know, I wasn't thinking that, oh, this is what anyone needs to hear. Turns out they did. So I plugged into that. I didn't have a lot of, and I didn't, I didn't have a lot of other people talking about it. What I, there were other people of my background, quote unquote, who were talking about politics or race which I would have loved to do, but I didn't have that much to say because I didn't grow up here. I grew up in India. Um, and so 
I was only talking about those differences. And I think what happened was there was that shaped that shape in this in the comedy vista, and I stepped into it. And there were just fans who were like, "Oh, this is what I want to hear. I have kids. I'm in the. I'm South Asian. I'm married to a Westerner. Oh, so." I suppose it's one of those things. It's the grace of God. You know, there was a zeitgeist, and there I was standing there, zeitgeisting. I guess I don't know. Uh, zeitgeist, milieu, segway, segway, a, a, a holy trinity. One thing that really helped get lots of fans was, weirdly enough, not something I thought I would ever see a silver lining in. And it's not a silver lining; it's just fact. COVID, because everything went online, and I was bored. I was bored. I had COVID. I was scared. I, my mother had just passed away. I was a number of things, and I started to exercise my comedy muscle. Uh, on, I think it was Kay Curd who said to me to get TikTok, and I was like, "Hey, that's for very young people." He was like, "Bro, just do it." I got TikTok, and I started to make reels, but they were just literally me being like, "Here's a mango," <laughs> just nothing special. And that took off, and I think it was because everyone was looking for something to make them happy, to make them laugh. It was COVID. I had not really ever utilized social media per se. I, I, I have to say that increasingly, I'm getting more and more South Asian audiences, as you saw at the last gig we were at, at together, and that's wonderful. Um, and I mean, I'm nothing if I'm, you know, without fans and people who care to hear what I'm saying, but that's not. That's taken a long time. Otherwise, I think a lot of things. If you're married or not married, or like wanking or don't like wanking, or you know, I have something to say to you. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Truly, something for everyone. Uh, for everyone. Absolutely. Now, in terms of <laughs> what a segue. Hang on, I can't. I'm not even. Sure. I don't think I've got the skill set to make this segue. But by God, you can I'm do it. Try. You can do it. Yeah, do it. How, how, how I'm going to get from wanking to Matilda, I... <laughs> oh, my God. So this is how I get cancelled with this segue. As you know, it's why I took my two girls. We went twice. We went one to the normal screening. They loved it so much. We then went to the sing-along screening. And you know what? We, all in, we, we probably enjoyed the second one even more because we were singing our little hearts out. And you know what else your girls did? They did a little taping and sent it to me. Oh. And now I I'm, loved that. So my girls could not believe that, and I quote, one of daddy's friends is in Matilda. And so once they found that out, all bets were off. And it was, they were very keen to, to send messages to Sindhu. Now that, that, is a, that must be a lovely thing to have in the, the time capsule, call it whatever you want, but to have that forever, to have, let's face it, a bit, you've got a big old role in that, in a, in a big movie. Um, that's a really beautiful thing, isn't it? It is. That's literally all I can say. It is a beautiful thing. Just from chatting with you anecdotally about it, that was was that like that was almost peak, uh, not peak lockdown, but peak in terms of we were able to film things, but under the most extreme oh, yeah. circumstances. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, I had never filmed anything very long previously, or anything that you know that was professionally at that level, production wise. So for me, it was like, I guess this is what it is. There's like a plastic screen between me and Matilda, Alicia, and we're reading our lines. I guess this is what it is. But what it did do was it made it very, you know, you, you had this sense that you had to be really responsible because there was 
all these people that were dependent on this thing not shutting down or not, you know. And um, it gave me great focus. I was very focused during those eight months that we filmed it or that I filmed it um, on my general health, my not fucking around with this thing because everyone was, you know, putting in such long hours, such hard work under these crazy circumstances. But I mean, it's, it's a minor miracle, given given how extreme the circumstances were, with the social distancing and the the the, the COVID. Not they're not they weren't called COVID agents, but you know, I worked on shows where there were the, the COVID people that had to maintain. You know, they, they, some of them almost had a tape measure out that they were taking it so seriously. Oh, yeah. And so for the for the film to turn out the way that it did, I mean, what what a gift to the world because you watch that film now, uh, and listeners, it's it's now on UK Netflix, um, and it's it's. It's such a triumph that it turned out to be the barn, the barnstorming, kick-ass hit that it that it was. It, yeah, I mean, when I saw it, you know, I again, I had no experience of sort of being in something and then watching it later. It all come together the way they'd done it. I was like blown away, you know. And I I did all my scenes with Alicia, and she's an extraordinary young actor, and I learned a lot from her, both in terms of focus, but also in terms of sort of she helped me she literally the first time we filmed I forgot all my lines I was so nervous and then she leaned over and started whispering my lines to me and I was like oh god so she really helped me get out of my body and my consciousness about oh I'm doing acting I was like I just got to be there it's Mrs. Phelps right I'm not I'm not for a second saying that it's the same level as a as a you know a big a big Hollywood Netflix movie with Tim and Chip but I did a day on EastEnders uh, I think someone had seen me warming up a TV show or emceeing a gig, and I played the MC at the uh, the host of the Walford Street Food Awards. And the lad who played Keegan Butcher Baker, his real name Zach Morris, what an incredible young man! What an incredible actor! And I had a very similar relationship with him. And the way he was, he I was in awe of this kid. And you know, he's, he had to memorize scripts each week, you know, pages and pages and pages. But but I had the same sort of thing. And when you meet someone who is, uh, even when they're young, but they've got all that experience and they're happy to share with someone. I mean, I'm more, I think I'm more than twice this lad's age. I mean, I mean, crikey. I I'm was, a... yeah, I mean, Alicia is the age of my youngest child. So yeah, no, it was great. I mean, what a gift again, you know, that, that production had so many things that were just handed to me as supports to see how I go. And um, Matthew Warchus, again, is one of those. He, you know, I said to him, I said, I don't, Matthew, I don't, I, I, I'm not an actor. What are you doing? Like I was, I have to say that you have never met someone more eager to do something, but also reluctant because like I say, you know, like I, I was like, I, I, I don't want to be the fuck up here. Hello. Um, but he was wonderful. He, he made it clear to me that I had been chosen because I, absolutely was the right person. And there is a, um, there is a, you know, the Bhagavad Gita. It's a, it's a, it's the song that Lord Krishna, that is between Lord Krishna and Arjun. It's a very important book for Hindus. It's about how to live. And in that, one of the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita is when you do your work, you have to think, this is what I have been chosen for. You have to bring that energy, whatever it is, whether you're being a mother or whether you're being a, whatever you're doing. And, I remember reading that and 
putting it on a piece of paper and looking at it every day because you can't do the disservice to a team of coming in and being wobbly. They've chosen you. You're the guy. Sure. So th- that I think was something I very much reminded myself several times a day when I was on set, and it didn't it didn't last forever because that came again, like with comedy. I was reading a lot. I read a lot about actors and acting and who this said this and what does that mean. And I tend to try and educate myself and absorb what I can uh, through reading. I don't know what a nerd. One of the things um, that I learned um was that you need to find that way to distance yourself i'm not sindhu when i get onto those clothes then it's mrs phelps and um and i had some help from uh sarah jane butler fantastic acting coach who gave me all these things she said let's talk about mrs phelps backstory let's you know do these other things and what plants does she like and it turned out i had all of this information in my head like I knew exactly what Phelpsy would like. I used to call her Phelpsy. I knew what plants she would like. I knew this, I knew that. And so I created that whole world in myself. And then when I would get into the costume, eventually I was able to just leave myself and go and be Mrs. Phelps. And that I think is, again, it's, a, it's, a, it's something you can learn when you act and which I have then consequently had to do several more times in different roles. And um, it's a very fascinating part of acting because it's the exact opposite of me in comedy. You know, I mean, you're talking to me now on Zoom. We meet, it's like, literally, it's me. There's no, yeah. there's no, there's, there's nobody else. And my stand-up is particularly, it's me. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so the acting is a completely 180 degrees from that, um, which... Yeah, which has been fascinating and re- continues to be very fascinating for me. Well, you know, so then you go from being a movie with uh, Emma Thompson and Andrea Riseborough, Stephen Graham, and then that, this takes on to my, now my mother's wedding. Jesus wept. I mean, this is. I mean, if any any movie fans or, or fans of acting and television, what have you, I mean, this is an absolute murderer's row. Directed by Kristen Scott Thomas, the cast includes Sindhu V, Scarlett Johansson, Sienna Miller. Emily Beecham, Kristen Scott Thomas, Frida Pinto. Uh, I know Mark, uh, uh, Mark Stanley is an in- uh, incredible actor. You learn from uh, Happy Valley and on and on and on. I mean, this. please share with us what you can about this because, I mean, this, this, this sounds incredible. I don't know if I can share a whole lot about the, the film, except that it's a great film and I'm so looking forward to watching it. Um, yeah, no, what do you want me to say? Like, I, you know, I... Uh, I uh, was asked to make a casting tape. I did. They called me back. I did it again. And they said, "Yeah, it's you." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> it, it's it's a it's a it's a very um, it's a very interesting role. It's um, it's by no means the size of Mrs. Phelps's role in terms of the amount of time on screen, but it's an important role to the story, and it's a lovely story. Yeah, no, no. So that was one thing. But not, there was not a single person on that set that didn't make me feel like, oh, no, this this character is you. Ah, I can see why they picked you. Oh, it's you. So that was, um, again, that was extremely, extremely wonderful. And I was very lucky. I mean, in- incredible. I mean, Chris, Christine Scott Thomas, 
literally one of the best actors I've ever seen. You know, when she, she's one of those people when she's when she's on the screen, you're like, God, good God, you know, she she pops so much. What what was that experience like? I mean, she's you know, I think if anyone is a, a fan of movies, you you probably love Kristen Scott Thomas. She's um. You know, again, I I went running to her and said, I, I don't act a lot, you know. And she she was very inspiring. She said to me, No, of course you can do this. You you're going to be perfect. You're going to be perfect. And um and I was like, Okay, here's the thing, you know, James. I think that if you are going to do something, and you don't quite know how to do it, you must listen. You must listen, and you have to be able to turn off the volume on your stubborn desire to make what you think come true. You have to turn the volume down on that, and you have to turn the volume up on the external mic that listens to what's being said to you, and then you need to just go. And it's immature because. We all do it at some point in our lives. It's immature to continue to be uh, diffident, despite wanting a job, getting a job, and then to continue to be diffident and say and hide your unwillingness to fail behind diffidence—that faux diffidence. You know, you just need to turn that shit off, and you need to be a much more positive receptacle. Of what is being said to you, and then you need to go, move, get get on with it. Is there any any publishers listening? If you're not commissioning Sindhu V to write a personal development book, oh you are missing a trick, my friends. Uh, right? I mean, do, I mean that, I, that is incredible. But, but acting has taught me that. Acting has taught me that that's a choice I have, and am I going to make it or not? And I have chose. I I'm like, yeah, okay, and it's scary. But what's the worst that can happen? You'll be bad at what you did. That's the worst, right? You can't keep hiding behind. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. No, you're here now. Go. Otherwise, don't do a casting tape, Sindhu. Yes, of course. Otherwise, you know, shut the fuck up. Do, are you? Do you share? Are you sharing any scenes with, say, Scarlett Johansson? Yes. Now, the reason why I ask that is, do you, do you, do you have that moment where? You know, and again, you know, so talented. Do you have that moment where you, where you go, "Oh my God, I'm in a scene with Scarlett Johansson," or do you have to, do you have to, you know, hush that chatter? Um, much before we got to any scenes, I was, you know, when when she appeared uh, before we were before things were going to happen, I was like, "Oh, for fuck's sake, this is so weird." Um, but she's so like regular and warm and so yeah I was just like this is weird and then we got talking and it was like okay and then it was like this is a job I gotta I can't like what's happening like they didn't pull me off of the street and say come and do this yeah so um but I remember watching her a lot because I'm like she's been acting for a long time man so learn something I didn't know what I was trying to learn, but I was watching. And I did that with all of them because they were all, every single person had been acting more than me and doing it to an incredible standard. So I just watched a lot and I listened and I learned to ask. Incredible. I learned to put up my hand and say, 
but what? You know, and there's things I'm not good at. Like I'm terrible at doing small movements that are required as I'm doing dialogue because I get in my head. And there was something, you know, and so those kinds of things I would stop and say, um, I, I think I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> You're like, okay, we'll go again. <laughs> they were very patient. What can you tell us about the the, the Pradeeps of Pittsburgh? Because again, this is an, you know this is another hugely exciting project. Yeah, it's great. It's um it's a show about an Indian family that uh, shows up in current times from the United from India to the United States. It's a family. Um, it's a husband, wife, and their three kids. Um, and it's their trials and tribulations, or as, as I said earlier, as my father would say, shenanigans. And I'm the mother, and I'm highly educated. Of course I am. Um, and, yeah, you know, I don't think I can really reveal much more, but it's, I'll tell you this. If you like my stand-up, then if you find that funny, you're going to find this show funny because it's, there's not, there's, I have never seen anything like it in terms of comedy about a family on television, not here, not in the US. And and that's saying something. Well, that's that's tremendously exciting. Yes, it is, it is, it is. And, you know, we filmed for at a, at a, at a, at a crazy pace um, earlier this year and every single, you know, the, the um, yeah, it was quite an experience. I think for me, that was the first time that, you know, uh, you have that much to learn and that much to do in, you're on set every single day, pretty much, pretty much. And um, that was a real learning experience. It's not a movie. It's a television series. So different directors and things uh, for different episodes and, you know, learning their style. Um, also being from India, I had a lot of opinions uh, <laughs> about what, what, That's but you know, it's television. And so um, most of it, got taken on board some of it they were like yeah okay this is not the truth all right just relax um and so yeah i learned that as well but you know making pradeeps was like going to edinburgh fringe the first time it was boot camp sure i mean i learned so much about cameras and angles and lighting and sound which you know because you're on all the time and it's this was not something I knew anything about until I showed up at Pradeep's. I knew that there is a camera and a DOP and they did, you know, but I didn't know how everything came together. And I certainly didn't know how important it was that I do not look to the left when I'm saying this line, because the guy is going to kill himself, the camera guy, because you're supposed to be, he has to catch what you're saying in that specific way. I learned that. So that was really the sort of mechanics. And you, you're one of the main parts in this, aren't you? Yes. I mean, the the family of five is the main, and I'm one of the family, so. Again, huge congratulations. Wonderful. I feel very, very lucky again, and it's a great, great script. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right then, so Sindhu, you're cu you're curating your dream gig. Do you have a? a is there a? I, I ask this as I have loads. Do you have a pre gig ritual? I don't have a very long ritual. If I'm on tour, 
and I have to go out on stage, I listen to my playlist, which is a compilation of music that has mattered to me through my life, plus some things that the kids have told me to put in, uh, which they've been playing. And I'm like, oh, I like that song. I listen to it for like a few minutes extremely loudly. Uh, but that's only if I'm on tour. And then one thing I do just before I get on stage at any and every gig um, is I close my eyes and I, how shall I put this? I, I bow my head um, because I remember that this is, to be able to do this is a gift. So I just say a little tiny thank you and then I get on stage. And it is a gift and because I'm a believe I'm a I I'm a Hindu, this is a this is a great karma that I'm discharging. So I always just make sure to remember that at every gig before I go on stage. Oh my god. I I I've I've I watched a lot of Jerry Seinfeld interviews and he he said a similar thing that he he's come to the conclusion that what he's doing karmically is a very good thing. He's making people feel good. Yeah, I mean, but the, the the difference between that and what I am saying is that it's my karma to discharge. See, you you are, you you discharge karma. You create karma. So it's not for other people, but it's a great gift that I have in this lifetime. I'm able to discharge this karma that brings so much joy to me. And of course, it's a form of seva, which is service to make other people laugh. But it's really about me being grateful for that moment where I can go on stage and discharge this karma, which is so valuable to me. God. Well, you, well, listen, I can't see that both Tim and I are, are saluting that answer. Who would, uh, <laughs> who would, who would MC the gig? My, my, my best gig. If you were curating, yeah, this, an ideal fantasy gig, who would MC, who oh. would MC the gig? Obviously you, James. Are you serious? Of course. I mean, I have a couple of other people in mind, but- No, 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 you don't, no, no, we don't have to hear about them. No, I'm joking, okay, I'm joking. exactly. No, no, no. <laughs> um, you know, I, let me say this. I'm a terrible MC. And so I, 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 and so, and I do one of those things which you shouldn't do, which is I avoid it because I'm not good at it. So I get even less good at it. MCing, I mean, MCing is possible for pretty much any comic if you put your mind to it. But for me, the difference between emceeing and a great MC is that when the audience is in the hands of the MC, they forget that they've seen a great act or they're about to see an act they came to see. It's to be able to bring them after they've seen something and experienced it. And just before they're going to experience a very, another distinct piece of comedy, they forget because they're back in the room with that MC and they're back in their experience of being in that room without a comic in front of them, without one of the acts in front of them. That is a real skill. And the things that I think that involves among, apart from the talent that the MC has, it involves an ability to bring little things to life in the room. Uh, it involves an ability to talk about topical things that might've happened that day or that week. And it's, an ability to not step on the toes of the comic that went before you and that you're about to introduce. Yeah. That's it. That's it. It's fucking magical. 
you know there's there's you there's Barry Ferns terrific um I mean there's so many I'm, Chloe Pets brilliant you know and I mean I'm I, I I'm sure that I'm gonna I mean I can't start listing everybody but the, Chloe has been recently emceeing a lot of the gigs I've been at and I've noticed that as well you know that that's a magical that that's magical because as a as a comic when I as an act when I'm coming on I'm thinking of my material how my material is going to hit how the audience it's me 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 but I think as an emcee you have to have that capacity to go with the flow and anything comes up so you can't come pre-prepared with the me 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 and you can't make it me 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 because a good mc is not going to be the kind of act that then detracts from anything that went before or after and i've done enough gigs on the circuit to <laughs> to have experienced mcs who will mock the shit out of you as soon as you've left the stage or will bring you on with like some comment about your gender or your race or and you're like wait what yeah like you you know and so that's why i yeah that's why i think good emceeing is a sort of a it's a it's a magic trick that only a magician can pull off but brilliant what a great answer who who would open this ideal gig of yours who would open my ideal gig there's so many i mean this is such a crazy thing to have to pick one person um but it would be ishan akbar because I can then take the piss out of his stupid comedy <laughs> right after if I was going on in the middle. Um Ishan is uh, is very dear to me and we have a we have you know he I have the capacity to to bants with him the way that I would with my cousins who are younger than me you know where we're just like viciously awful to each other. Um but also because Ishan is a is a is a he's a very bold comic. and i think if you open with a bold comic like that um it sort of sets the tone for an audience and, and um and then if at any point i was involved in that gig i could just rip him apart it's also nice to have uh someone on the circuit with whom you have that sort of dynamic with as well isn't it so to look oh, forward yeah. to seeing them you know you're going to have that time with them when you're not on stage uh it, it just makes the world a, a nicer place i guess Uh no when I'm not on stage with him I ignore him cuz he's stupid. I hope he's listening cuz you know I believe it each time. <laughs> right, perfect. Who would who would you have in the middle? James, how am I supposed to answer that? There's like 50 people I would have in the middle. I mean, okay, not 50, 20. Like how am I going to answer this question? I believe in you. You know, I recently did a gig which was to support stand up for immigrant comics who I think were had quite recently come to this country and were trying stand up I would definitely pick someone that was petrified out of their fucking mind because we all have needed that chance we've all needed the chance to be at a gig where everyone was there to see somebody else <laughs> but you had a lot of benefit of the doubt so you come on in the middle you could be great you could be less great you could be shit but they won't remember because you're the middle of the shit sandwich right and everyone is shit in the beginning i'm even shit now sometimes you know um i say sometimes but in my heart i feel shit the audience is very nice and they keep clapping but we all know um there's that one joke i keep trying about the uh, face blind nose blind it doesn't work why they don't 
throw a shoe at me, I don't know, but it doesn't work and I won't let it go. Um, anyway, so I would have someone like that because I think only because all the other comics that I know, we're all getting a chance, you know. Um, and I would risk the gig for that because I think you're never going anywhere if you're not bringing people up with you. You're never going anywhere. That's a, a lovely and important thing. So you'd, you'd put through one of the guys that you'd seen at No Direction Home. Is there anyone else that you would like to put in the middle? Maybe someone who's running through new or, or something like that? You know what? I'll just say Maisie Adams because I don't see her enough. And her and I have the same length of legs, I think. <laughs> just super long legs. You know, every time I see her, I'm like, Maisie, you've got long legs. She's like, so do you. I'm like, great. So... You know, Maisie, I don't see her enough. She'd be, and her new material. I mean, also, it'd be nice to do a gig where I know I would be laughing my head off. The, and the thing with comedy is, is that sometimes, that for whatever reason, that, you know, the comedy gods align and you see certain people a lot, right? So we've had, yeah. we've had times where we, we, we see each other loads, right? But then there's certain people, the one that always comes into my head, if you're picking Maisie, for me, it's Zoe Lyons. When I, I wish I saw a lot more of Zoe. Yeah. And then we're on the same bill and we get, like, you know, we, we was having a nice chat as well. But we get on a house on fire and we always do that thing of like, I wish we saw each other more often than this. And, and, the, and is that what is that the relationship that you have with Maisie, I take it then? I don't know if Maisie wants to see me more. I want to <laughs> see Maisie more. Uh, you know, I just love her. She always makes me laugh. Like, I always laugh. Right. So, so far, Sindhu. So good. So far, so good. Who would, who would close this gig? Who would close this dream Sindhu V gig? I would have eddie murphy oh my god mate in the history of comedy i mean the word electrifying i mean it doesn't do it justice does it when eddie but eddie Mur i mean if, if any listener has never seen the eddie murphy uh, live concerts you, if you remember when freddie mercury walks on at live aid and the charisma like comes through the television i mean eddie murphy I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure we've... He's probably the closest thing comedy's ever had to Elvis Presley, I, I guess. Yeah, and also, the, the thing is, if you think about this gig then, you have an audience who's had to sit through Ishan's shit. Then they get Maisie, or they get a completely new person who's like, I've never done a gig, and I just arrived from XYZ country. And then you have Eddie Murphy. I mean, their minds would be blown. Okay? And other thing about Eddie Murphy is, I watched his... Um, co co comedians in the car drinking the coffee that that show with yeah. with science with not with science with Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. His persona even there is sort of like I don't give a fuck. This is bullshit. I'll say what I want, and it's comedy. So fuck all of you. Now he managed to have that attitude and not end up being someone that a whole group of people hated. You know, I mean, Chappelle has that attitude. I think he's a great comic, but he's managed to now bring this into, he's, to, he's managed to create a lot of, well, a lot of division with that same attitude. Eddie Murphy's never done that. And plus Eddie Murphy to me is great because he can, he can, you know, he does voices, he does, but he'll tell you a story that happened today, but with voices and attitudes. And I often find that is, the simplest and most mesmeric stand-up. Mesmeric! Dude, dude, this is word number four. Susie Dent is quaking in her boots. <laughs> uh, yeah, Eddie, and 
Eddie Murphy's so good at the voices that when he's doing an act out, say the, the famous ice cream, you know, I got an ice cream. Ice cream. You forget that you're watching someone like you. He transports you to that whole yes. scene. He's, paint, he's and, painting pictures. Yes, and that's what I love. I love that. I love, you know, I love that where you just, what he does is he brings that person into the room. And then later when you're out eating ice cream, you're like, I bet if that kid was here right now, they would say this. That to me is absolutely gold standard of doing stand-up. And there's lots of different kinds of stand-up, but that remains the most simple 24-carat stuff. You know? I do. And just an, and an absolute, a god, a rock star, call him whatever you like. He just he just had that special... I mean, I mean, you know, there's the, the, there are these rumours that he's going to make this return to stand-up. Um, but, what you know, while he was doing it, while he was that golden boy, uh, just, you know, I, oh, look, I know that some of the routines are obviously hugely problematic now. Um, it's a it's a big to say. However, given the stuff that he talks about, which I know some of the stuff is deplorable, but um, when, when the guy was on fire, he was. I mean, I, there, there may have been. I'm not sure there's anyone there's been anyone like him before or since. Really, would you like to see him come back? I would like to see him come back. I I don't think there's any reason for Eddie Murphy to not come back. I'd like to see him come back. I'd like to see him come back again to learn what happens when you are that good and then you take that break and you're from that generation and you have these views about freedom of speech, quote unquote, what will he bring? How much does technique trump content in Eddie Murphy or how much will the content be the thing that we're like, oh, no matter how funny you make this, it ain't funny. I'm the, I'm the same. I would, I would... I think about it a lot, and ultimately, I fall into the yeah. I'd like to see it because I just I love him too yeah. much, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I'd love to see it. I think you. I think you put that together beautifully. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it was like running through a burning house, but I managed to do it. You managed to do it. Now, is there is, is there an incident that's happened to you at a gig that you would love to replicate at this dream gig? Has there been a, lo a lovely thing that's happened to you at a gig? Yeah. There's a lovely thing that's happened a few times um, where I'll say, you know, I'll deliver a punchline and one person in the audience will start laughing so hard and is unable to stop that it's almost a medical incident. I love that. Like the fact that someone might have to get removed in a stretcher from laughing so hard at what I've said and what it means to them, because it's always because it means something to them. I love that because that to me is the ultimate sort of ultimate proof that this thing that I think is so funny that night after night, I want to get up and tell you has gotten to someone um, to such a point that it's a detriment to their health. I, I've seen, I've seen this happen. <laughs> I've seen people to the point where you're thinking, am I going to have to get that person a glass of water or even worse, an undertaker. Yeah, I mean, I think undertaker, but at least someone has to stop and say, are you all right? And that has happened at gigs. People are like, are you okay? And this person is sort of, there's like hyena-like noises coming out. And I just, I, I, I just stand there and bathe in the joy of that. Of course, it would be bad if something terrible happened to them, but you know, a little bit of passing out never hurt anyone. You come back from that, I fainted, it's okay. 
have you have you ever had a gig where you know maybe a tour show or something where you've you've actually had to go oh hang on a minute I just need to need yeah to... yeah yeah no no we've had to stop and be like are you okay and then they've said yes but then their partners like they're not okay and then you know it's like okay but you know the whole time I'm smiling everyone's loving it and the person sort of is confused they're like I don't feel great but I'm laughing what's happening um, and so we've had to just stop and just make sure they're okay but then. In two instances, they've not been able to keep it together. So I've had to stop just because <laughs> 40 minutes into the show, they start just fucking going. And you're like, okay. Uh, because they're not able to enjoy the show. They're just in, oh, here's another word for you, paroxysms. Oh my God, what is this? This podcast is bringing out the inner vocabulary, thesaurus in me. It's because you're preparing for that book that I know, I know is... <laughs> pearls of wisdom that Sindhu read somewhere and just happened to remember and throw into the show. I mean, I take no credit, but for the those things, I just think they're available everywhere. I take credit for the fact that they stick in my head. Yeah, take the credit. Yeah, take the credit for being incredibly intelligent. Um, who uh, Sindhu just stuck a tongue out of me. I just want to. Uh, <laughs> else that. Um, what about what about an incident that that under any circumstances must not happen at, at this gig? Oh man that, you know, an act comes on and the entire room decides. Actually, it just happened to Ishan, I would laugh, but that's sidebar. But, you know, the act comes on, they have a great set, they start, but the whole room has decided they're not there for this. They don't, but they don't get in, involved in sort of bringing the energy to that place where the comic could even respond. They just start looking at their watch or looking into the distance, they just disengage. And I mean, this has happened to me, so I can describe it very vividly. They just, there's a collective decision made telepathically that you're a fucking waste of their time, but they're too, they're, they're not even going to really engage. They're just going to wait till your time's up and you can, Oh Jesus, let's, you know what I mean? It's like, you're as annoying as, um, as rain at a picnic, except they're, no, that's actually too, too jovial. They're just like, you're like bad news on the, on the telly that they're just wait in some foreign country. They're just waiting for it to pass. You know, it's the worst. I would hate for that to happen at a dream gig of mine. And also there's that thing of, cause when that does happen and you're not, I know you're not allowed to do this for whatever reason, but you, you should, you should almost be allowed to say, Look, guys, we all we, let's all agree this for whatever reason this isn't happening, and so we'll just take a break there, grab yourselves a drink. We'll come back in fifteen minutes. And this thing where the act has to, you've got to fulfil that time for whatever, and it, all it's doing is making the whole night worse, isn't it? Oh no! I stopped and said, "What is happening?" So you know, and this was in India, and I and I asked them, and they all sort of looked at each other, and they kind of looked at me like, how pathetic. And they didn't answer. It was the worst. So they didn't even give me that. They were just like, what is she talking about? Like, Ugh. So what yeah, did you do? Do you, do you just walk off? You know, you know what was bad? It was the first time my dad, first and last time my dad ever came to see me gig. Not, not, not last because he didn't want to come again. It was the first time and he just, he, he just couldn't understand what was going on. And I was like, oh man, he's going to be like, what is it that you do? And so that was hard because not because he would have judged me, but because he, he was genuinely like this, 
what, wait, what? Um, so I just, yeah, I had to, I just finished my 15 minutes. Just, it was so bad. And it was so funny. The, the stuff had worked every other night. And they just, yeah, you know, some of them started calling the waiter over and um, sort of, you know, just really, really quiet voice discuss. And I was like, oh boy. And it just got worse and worse. And then I stopped and I tried to do that thing of like, okay, you guys, why is this not working? And they were all like, you know, like when you are in a, in a, what, in a sort of environment with young children and one of the children is sort of having a kind of an angry moment, not, not even an electric tantrum, but they and the parents are kind of embarrassed. That whole energy was in the room. Oh my God, it was just so bad. And then I just finished and then we were leaving. And my father, he said to me, I think the caliber of your comedy was lost on this audience. The things you were saying, I think they, were, they went over their heads. And my mother, to her great credit, said, uh, no, nothing is wrong with caliber of comedy. These poxy puppies of leprous bitches would not understand any comedy. And then she turned around and spat in the restaurant. She went, <laughs> and then we left. On behalf of every listener, can I just say, what great parents. I know. And my father then immediately turned all his energy on her and said, you mustn't do that. You cannot spit in public. And this is very, very wrong behavior. Look at the, look at the example you're setting for the child. I was like 44 years old. Um, and and my mother said, you have no emotion. You are always suppressing emotion. I have emotion. This is my daughter. And they were all motherfucker. And I was like, oh, my God, you guys. And then, of course, it was fine because no one was focusing on what happened to me. Absolutely perfect. What a gr what great woman, Dad. Um, but it, what, what is that all about? Because my, my sister and brother-in-law, they live in Leeds. I live in London. They, you know, they never, never, never see me perform. They've got kids. You know, it's just it's just logistically impossible. They once came down to London. I was open mic, open spot at the time, and they came to a gig, and it was just a catastrophe. Like, a, you know, a group of 30 people came in while I was on and started ordering at the bar. It just, and I remember my, my brother-in-law and my sister saying, what a shame. You know, like the one yeah. time they came and it was just like, for whatever reason, an unplayable thing. You know, it's it's just sort yeah. of law, isn't it? When you, you know, the, the, the one night your family see you and, it, and that sort of thing happens. Yeah, and I mean, my father and I, you know, he saw me then, and that was 2014. And then the next time when I was doing stuff and he was focusing on it was at during Matilda, because he was staying with us. And I think for my father, it was so confusing how this hobby I had had gotten so out of hand that I was now in a movie. Like, he, he was just <laughs> bewildered by this whole thing, because he'd only seen me do that gig, and now here I was. Um, and... He, he used, I used to come back from set and he would say to me, so did you act today? And I was like, yeah. He said, they called you to do the work? And I'm like, yeah. They didn't make you sit? And I was like, bro, no. And he just, he just wanted to make sure that if that kind of thing that happened at that gig had happened again, he should have the right thing to say. But it was like, no, dad, this is different. I, I, I don't bomb like that anymore. And he was like, okay. I think he just was confused by like, what is happening in her life? What is she doing? Oh, but he was... Um, he was his proudest moment was when I was on the BBC, obviously, because an Indian of that generation, BBC. So the Apollo thing, oh, London Apollo, BBC, very good. He thought that was it, peak, peak Sindhu, we're done. She's done it. She's been on the BBC. When I was on the radio with my show, Sindhustan, 
he was like, oh, she's on BBC Radio. Clearly she's made it. And so everything after that was like, what? Like me going on tour. He was like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's fine. But for him, the BBC Radio was the big thing. Um, what a special thing, because the BBC, you know, obviously world famous, beloved around the world. And so yeah. for his daughter to have, you know, and you're, you know, you're one of the acts who in the history of Live at the Apollo, to say you popped multiple appearances, uh, again, an absolute rock star on that show, he must have been, you know, as a, as a father to daughters myself, I cannot even fathom how, how proud he must have been. Yes, he was. He was very, you know, but he was of a generation where they didn't. My mother was from the same generation, but she was different. He didn't praise me to my face as much as he praised me to everyone else. Um, because he was always, you know, my, if I have any humility in me, any, it is from watching my father and watching him conduct himself in his line of work um, in situations where he was the most important person in the room or the most successful and the way he dressed and the way he spoke, the way he carried himself. And so that was ingrained in me just by watching him because we were very close and we were born the same day. And I remember how much grace and how much he made everyone else in the room feel special about themselves. And so for him, a big part of being of doing well, which you had to do was for every notch that you did better in life, you took your humility up five notches. So that by the time you'd hit peak, whatever you were doing, you were the least, you, you took up the least space of a, in, a, in a room. And it was everyone around you who benefited from whatever you radiated through that success, if that makes sense. It's another chapter in the book. Yeah. <laughs> well, I watched that in him, you know. And um, I, I, I remember it always struck me, even as a young child, because my mother was the opposite. She was all about power, status. Look, I'm so, my daughter is very famous, but it's because of me. She talks about me. You know, so I have, and that was also great because she, she was, she's, you know, the fire in me to, to win and stuff comes from her. But the, if there's any humility in me, it comes from my father. So he never talked me up to my face. He definitely congratulated me and so on. But it was only by talking to others that I came to understand how incredibly, he used to say, my, my chest is exploding with pride. I mean, beautiful. Now, may, may I ask, I think because you're, you're such a calm dude, do you need to unwind after a gig? If so, how do, you, how do you unwind after a gig? Oh, my God, I have the worst. I mean, I always come home. And for many years in the beginning, I would just sit in front of the television and eat because I love eating. And also there's all this adrenaline. I don't do drugs, okay? Which I sometimes after starting comedy, I think, God damn it, because it's a really good way to come down is to do some kind of drugs, I'm sure, but I don't do drugs. So it was like watching television and then eating. And that, um, that is not good for health. Yeah, it's like one in the morning and you're eating cake and watching TV. It messes with your sleep cycle. It does everything. So I stopped that. Um, and then I, ha and I have some close friends in the United States. So on the way back from gigs, I started calling them. And they were like, we're at work. I'm like, you got to talk to me. And I, they were like, uh -uh, okay. Um, and then now what I do is, I'm and especially on tour, you learn this, right? You're just that adrenaline high. And then you're alone in a premiere in like, what am I doing? 
you know, I don't do drugs. I don't have like groupies that I'm bringing back to my room. <laughs> By the way, just don't do that stuff, people. This is all jokes. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not doing. So what I've learned to do now is I always have a podcast on the go. And it's always true crime. Ah. Yeah, because that stuff will ground you. It'll settle you down. You know, some headless body who, who, who did it. I don't know. Someone in the village, that kind of thing. That'll always ground you. Also, because I love true crime, it's genuinely interesting to me. Like I'm dying to finish the gig to find out more about who did what. That's one thing. Um, and then I come into the house and I always start saying, audibly speaking, don't go in the kitchen, don't go in the kitchen, don't go in the kitchen, you'll regret it tomorrow. Like a little, I just start saying that. And our dog is always like, why do you walk into the house talking? And I'm like, Smith. and then, you know, four times out of 10, I won't go in the kitchen. Six times out of 10, I will. But then I don't go and sit in front of the television. I just stand at the counter and eat whatever's around and then go upstairs. So really, it's a work in progress. Sindhu, we cannot thank you enough for your time. You've been so generous. So thank you. Thank for, you. Thanks for always being I've, you. Thanks for being brilliant. And, uh, you know, we're always really yeah. grateful. Huge and heartfelt thanks to Sindhu, one of the greats, one of our absolute favourites, and also someone we, we love enormously, as, as you just heard. Tim, do you have a favourite memory of Sindhu V? I do. So I've been working comedy in... For about eight years, I think it is, at this stage, which is mad, really mad to think about. So I believe Sindhu started after I started working comedy. Um, so she's someone I've seen, like, from early first gigs, really. So getting to see someone go from that stage to being cast in a Roald Dahl adaptation is... in incredible thing to see it's something that is very rare to see so i think it's when cindy v was cast in matilda i think that was like wow uh the world is about to discover cindy v absolutely i mean you're absolutely right that her, her rise to fame has been so uh meteoric and deserved because you know as tim says from the from the first moment you saw her you were like i'm trying to think of a a, a cricketer who was just like an innate natural um, you know, like Don Bradman was like just born to play cricket, and the very first time I saw Cindy, I was just like, "Oh my god!" Just innate ability plus hard work plus a nice dude. Uh, my favourite memory of Cindy. There was one time we did a preview, and the queue went all the way through the Tommy Field. In fact, I think this particular queue, the way it went right through the middle of the pub is the sole reason the audience members now have to queue outside. <laughs> yeah, she she literally changed the way Always Be Comedy runs. She, she changed the way Always Be Comedy is run because this queue, was it was like an arrow right through the middle of the pub. And it, obviously it's a champagne problem and the pub are, are delighted, but it did mean that people physically couldn't get... <laughs> this, is a, this is the ultimate champagne problem. It was it was tricky for people to get served because it it was like um, I was going to go with the Bay City Rollers, which again, even for me, is uh, not a topical reference. But it it was it was like a a boy band were performing. Such was the the nature of this queue. And so, if you've been to Always Be Comedy and wondered why you have to queue outside, 
that is the reason and that is my favorite memory and also that particular night sindhu obviously uh roofed it for the full show and then she had brought paul byrne uh ed byrne's uh now heartbreakingly late brother and the three of us had a, a little quick chat uh, and a drink after the show and it just makes you oh man this is too maudlin but uh you know, that, that's the only time I ever met Paul. It makes you realise that uh, moments are fleeting. And it's something that, 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 that like, you know, life is short. What, what, what a sad way to end the podcast. But what I would say is, Tim, something that you and I now try to do is stay for a drink more often after shows. And so we, we Brett Goldstein very kindly did a fundraiser for us on Monday night. And so uh, myself, Brett, Stephen Cree, Outlander fans, Stephen Cree is an, an actor from the, the hit TV show uh, Outlander. And because it had been a fundraiser, my wife came along and the four of us went for a drink afterwards. And Tim, once you're back in Edinburgh, um, I guess that is something that we must continue to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm looking at lineups we've got coming up and there's people I'm going to want to go have a drink with after. Now we know such are the vagaries of life. It's not always humanly possible, but but where possible... Uh, it's it's uh, it is a it is a nice thing to do. Uh, tell you what, mate, Stephen Cree, he told a couple of stories in the pub afterwards. That dude has got funny bones, and I reckon I I reckon I think he'll play always be comedy in the next few months. Oh wow! I d- I'm learning this now. That's amazing. Yeah, funny dude. Right, uh, Outlander fans, watch this space. Tim, may I ask, how is it going? Up in Edinburgh. I'm having such a lovely time. At the time of recording, uh, I've text a single show. It was Celia AB's first performance of Second Rodeo. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I think she nailed it. I think I, I, I wasn't far off nailing it myself tech-wise. <laughs> it was very good. Uh, yeah, a big recommendation for Celia AB if you're up in Edinburgh. Uh, today... I do the first John Robin shows and I do first Christopher Bliss shows. I'm very excited. It's going to be a busy day, but that's why we're here. That's why I do the friend. Non-stop com. Uh, I told my wife what you do up in Edinburgh, how in demand you are and the shows that you do. And my wife wanted to pass on her uh, praise for everything that you do, Tim. So well done. That's very lovely. Um, (laughs) Much love to her. That's very kind. If my wife had been on Ricky Lake when I told her about what your Edinburgh entails, she would have said, you go, girl. <laughs> she's very she's very kind. Um, but whilst I'm getting praise, it's worth saying that uh, you run into comedians at the Fringe and everyone is very always very complimentary of dear James Gill. And always be comedy, but certainly you and the warmth you bring on stage. If If... I did want it just to be the Tim praising hour. I think you deserve some too. That's very kind. That's very kind. I'm quite sleep deprived <laughs> because I've, I've been watching uh, Stuart Millard's YouTube video. God, they're, they are so funny. Uh, and so I knew, when Tim gave me praise as an emotional chap, I, I did nearly uh, cry. If you've ever heard me on Brett Goldstein's Films to be Buried with podcast, uh, if I can drop the ultimate name, I share a story of telling, I once interviewed Denzel Washington and I told 
Mr. Washington, how easily I tear up. He's such a brilliant actor that there's a he's giving a lift to a soldier who's about to go overseas and serve, and uh, it's it's a throwaway line in the hands of a lesser actor. It's it's a it's it's an almost nothing line, but Denzel says, "I'll be here waiting for when you get back." It's it, that right. That is a throwaway line in the Equalizer Two, and I tell Denzel Washington that that made me cry. Uh, and then I tried to move the interview on, but he he was fascinated, and he was like, "Do you tear up easily?" And I said, uh, "I cry if somebody opens a bottle of lemonade." And uh, we, to be, I think on the episode we, I think we play in the Denzel laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. I remember that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm married with children. I also have Tim Lewis in my life. Listening to Denzel Washington laugh is it? It, it would be in that top five. I'll be. <laughs> Oh my god! Of course, if you could frame a recording, it'd be that. <laughs> you could frame, rec- God, that would be a thing, wouldn't it? Like the, a visitor went over and like pressed a button, and you you could hear Denzel Washington uh, laugh. That that would be that would be a thing. Uh, thank you as always. We are uh, the team at alwaysbecomedy.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, all of that malarkey. Big thanks to Cindy. Big thanks to Tim. Have a great week, and we'll see you soon. 